beating on the good times Moonlight racing from the grave String band Welcome back to Ars Politica. Today I am going to talk about hospitality. So it's not going to be part two of my response to critics of the case for Christian nationalism. I'm going to talk a little bit about hospitality. First, I want to say before I forget that I do have a Patreon account. There's a few people who have become members and I appreciate Thank you, those people. Uh, but it's patreon.com slash Stephen Wolf. Stephen with a PH and then Wolf with an E. You'll see a nice landscape painting in the back. And you'll see my name and then the uh, Christian nationalist um, book cover. I don't really have anything else there in the about, the about page, but yes, that is me. If you see that, and it's Stephen Wolf. Anyway, thank you if you can subscribe to help me pay some of the bills for these things. I'm thinking about starting a, a YouTube channel as well, and uh, we'll see how that w- works out. But I'm working on developing uh, more content, so thank you for tuning in and thank you for your support. And if you can't give money, at least you know thank you for listening. Um, so uh, hospitality. Why do I want to talk about hospitality? Isn't this something women talk about? <laughs> Isn't this a, something women like talking about so they can make uh, big bowls of spaghetti? Um, no. Well, yes, that is true. But I want to talk about it because I think it is something the right needs to reclaim. The Christian right or just the right wing right in general, but in specifically the Christian right needs to reclaim this term um, hospitality. It's something that the the left certainly dominates um, in the in the discussion of hospitality. And that's because I think there's a simple reason. It's the sort of term that can be used, can, can be easily abused. You can use this term in overextended ways that I would say are vicious that are vice that leads into a you know vice um and that's what the left can do with this term it's like the word love the word kindness you drive along and you see a sign that says just be kind or love everyone or love wins or something like that and the reason why the left takes on these terms it's very useful it's because we live in an age when if you want to assert a limiting principle of something, you become the bigot, you become the bad guy, you become the negative one. That's what it comes down to, limiting principle. What they do is they they assert a term that in connotation and definition is very positive, and then they force the right to say, now you have to define the limits to it. Go ahead. No, so you're not loving to the homosexual. So that's how the left operates. And I have to admit, when if the right is going to reclaim hospitality they don't say oh yeah well you're i'm the real hospitable person then you just become exactly what the left wants you to become that's that's what the right does oh yeah you're the racist oh yeah you're the bigot oh you're you're the homophobe you're the transphobe that's what the the right has to respond in these like absurd ways by saying things like that you know that they, they have to oh, i don't want to they, they don't want to be the one who asserts the limiting principle be the reasonable one and, and think in terms of what is virtue and virtue has these vices on either side. No, they're just going to love harder and be kinder and all that. So basically they're adopting the left's frame. Well, I think in hospitality, I, I'm going to do what the right ought to do and all these other, which is to say that it is in itself, hospitality is a good thing. It's something everyone ought to practice in some sense in their various spheres, both collectively as a nation as a uh, and uh, as a members of households and churches. We have to be hospitable. But every single virtue has to have some limiting principle or some limitations such that it's no longer that virtue, but it's a vice. 
courage can be reckless, or I should say courage, courage can, um, the appearance of courage could actually be, rec could be reckless, uh, or you could be a coward. Those are all just the vices in relation to the virtue. Um, hospitality is no different. There are vices associated with not being, or being too hospitable, which is not a very accurate way to talk about it, but, or not hospitable enough. So the right, I think, has to be, as the group of people who are most connected to reality, the right has to say, no, reality itself, it's not just our bigotry, or not just our bigotry, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not bigotry to say that you have, that these virtues have vices on either side that you have to avoid. That's how ethics works. So that's what we'll have to say. And I want to do that for hospitality. The right needs to reclaim hospitality. When you, when you read some works or if you look up hospitality, you'll notice that uh, the people who wrote about it and, and who people talk about it, they're always on the left. We have people like Derrida who has the most absurd, perverse version of hospitality. Basically, you are so open even to the point where it destroys you. Like that's, that's good. I mean, he's, these people are fools. Then there's the almost impenetrable type of hospitality talk of someone like uh, Levinas, the French phenomenologist, existentialist philosopher. Uh, th there's one book called, recent book called Radical Hospitality, which again is very, like very thoroughly left-wing. It uses a lot of jargon. It's a, a bit basically absurd, doesn't deal with how the world is. And it's just, dude, just state the politics. You don't need to go through this 300-page garbage after gar garbage argumentation. Just say what the politics are. You want the West to, to no longer be Western. Um, just say it. The, but the right needs to reclaim this. Why would the right need to reclaim it? Well, the right claims for itself the Western tradition without this, let's critique, undermine, deconstruct. Uh, let's kind of be the enemies within the classical department. Let's not do that. It's too white. It's a, the right's not like that. The right's like, no, the Western tradition is ours. And in the Western tradition, what do you have? It is thoroughly full of hospitality. The Odyssey is a work on hospitality. The Iliad has aspects of, of um, hospitality. I mean, the, really, the, the theft of Helen, Paris taking Helen is a sort of, is Paris being a bad guest. It's an act of violating his status as guest in a, in a relation of hospitality. Then Achilles receiving Priam into his, into his tent. That's an act of hospitality. So there are these aspects of hospitality in the Western tradition and a part of the works that we cherish. And we ought to then say, no, this is not for the silly, self-destructive, self-hating, resentful left. This is for the self-affirming, strong right-winger. And we ought to so talk more about this. Some of you know, most don't, that I'm, I plan on writing a book on hospitality. I don't have a publisher yet. I haven't sent in a proposal. I'm in the early stage of talking about these things. And so these are kind of my early thoughts, and I would appreciate an email about it. If you've thought a lot about these things, I'm willing to put you on as a guest to talk more about it if, if you want. So send, send me an email. I don't know how you're going to find me. I guess I'll put it in the show notes how you can send me an email to the, the show email. As you might know, I like to talk about, I, I like to use definitions, good classical definitions, not the kind of definitions where it's like, well, I want to talk, I want this to be in the definition. No, I try to get it what it actually is in definitional form. So here we go. Uh, I'll try to pull this off here. It has the four causes in it. And uh, so that's like any good definition, of course. Uh, so it's, it's an act of generosity 
um, in which one is received into some space or place by a person or entity that controls that space in order to make uh, one a virtual member of some symbiosis. Now, if you read the case for Christian nationalism, you know that I had that big confusing definition. This approach is that I have virtual in there and symbiosis and controlling agent and all that sort of thing. But that's kind of, that's my definition. And I'm going to go through what I mean. But again, I said it's an act of generosity in which one is received in some space or place by the person or controlling agent of that space or place to make that other person, that guest, a virtual member of of the symbiosis of that entity. Now, let me work through what that means. Uh, So the, the formal cause is that it's an act of generosity. Okay. Or you could say it's a part of generosity or Expression of generosity, I don't know exactly where I'm going to go with that, but the idea is that it's the, the, the virtue of generosity, or it's sometimes translated as liberality. Uh, it's in Aristotle and Cicero, of course, discussed, and it's everyone, everyone affirms you ought to be generous. It, so it's a, it's a virtue, but it's not, not every act of generosity is hospitality. So you giving money to a friend is not hospitality, that's just generosity. But this is still, nevertheless, an act of of, gener- uh, of of generosity, a part of generosity, expression, whatever, uh, a particular type, let's say, a type of generosity might be better. Um, but what makes it different from this just you giving kind of money? Well, what's the material cause or sort of thing? What What is it in kind of the material, in the, the content of it? It's not just an act of generosity. What is it in content? Well, it's the receiving of another into some space or place. So it's receiving them into a home. It's receiving them into a homeland or a nation. It's receiving them, uh, in, in a sense, into a church body. Uh, we'll talk about that more later. Uh, it could be, it, it could just be receiving someone into like a tent, like a or a, a temporary dwelling. So take like Abraham and Sarah receiving the the three men um, in Genesis eighteen. That that wasn't like a permanent sort of dwelling place. You could be a sort of nomad or, or, and, and you have this place. You, so you're still bringing someone in, even if it's temporary. You control the space. It's your tent. It's your place. It's your table. It's your food. It's your lodging, whatever. It's your room. Uh, and you're bringing that person into it. So, that, so the efficient cause is, 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 will be the one actually doing the hospitality, and that will be the person who controls that space, the, you know, the tent, the house, the, the nation. And it could be an entity, so like a, a collective entity, like a people and a nation. Uh, just like a, like a, a, um, a household is a collective entity of, uh, composed of man, wife, and children. That entity itself brings those, those people, are the, are the hospitable people. So when you bring people over for dinner, yeah, okay, maybe your wife is the one invited or, or you invited as a husband invited, but still the receiving party or the receiving entity is that collective entity, namely the household. All right, that's the efficient cause, the one doing the action. Now, what's the final cause? What's the purpose of hospitality? I say it's to make one a virtual member of some symbiosis. What I mean by virtual member so virtual is not digital. Obviously, I'm not saying make a little digital thing of them. No, virtual is a, is an old term that was used like in early modern period. You see uh, Samuel Rutherford use it. Virtual meaning that you're tre- the person in them, uh, the thing in itself is not different or is a uh, is not this thing, but it's treated as as such, like as an effect or as an object of this of, of treatment. So to be a virtual member of your household 
means that you're treated as if you were a member of the household. Okay. But it's virtual in the sense because you're actually, the person isn't actually in fact a member. Hospitality is not saying you are now in yourself a member of this household. When you, when your child's friend comes over to your house, that child is treated at that dinner table as a sort of member of that household, but that child is not, not your child, you know? So there's a different, different kind of status. So it's treated as if, so that that's the idea of virtual. It's some, someone is something or something is something in the effect or how you treat it, but not in itself. And that's important to contrast adoption. So when you have a guest at your house, it, it, you're not adopting them. To be adopted, to be an adopted child means that you are just as much that you are a, you are ch- a child in fact, not biological, but you're still with regard to the relationship in the household, you are a child of that household. Okay. So that's different than a virtual child, like your friends, you know, like your child, your child's friend. So they're, they're made a virtual member and they become, and what does that mean? That means they're, they are brought into the symbiosis of that, of that entity. So take, you take the household as an example, household is a, is a place of maximal sharing. It's, it's almost communistic in a way The the people brought into your house, even if it's just at the dinner table, when they're at the dinner table, they're part of the life of, of the household. I mean, that's what's being invited to eat, eat with you means that you're a sort of virtual member of the household. And this is something even like Rosario Butterfield talks about in her hospitality book. The guest can do the dishes when they offer to do the dishes or offer to help this and that. They're just, they're being a good guest, but they're actually taking their, uh, assuming their virtual membership in the household when they do those things, when they help, uh, when they help the, the household conduct to do what it does. So, but this is not just, I mean, hospitality of course is not just you having people over for dinner. Uh, my aunt lived with us for a few months, maybe six months back when I was a kid and she would do the dishes and she did dinner with us and she'd clean the house. And, uh, I think at the at the time she might've been unemployed for a little while. So she, she, you know, the house was tidy and she'd do all these things. She'd, she'd buy stuff and she, she wasn't uh, like a tenant. I don't think she gave rent, but she did buy things like groceries, other things. So she did take part, though she was kind of a, a guest in our house, she took part in the life of the house as a guest, as a virtual member of the household. So that, again, that's my overall definition of hospitality, act of generosity in which one is received in some place by the person who controls that space in order to make them a virtual member of a symbiosis. Now, it could be very temporal, like a, like it's just simply one brought over for dinner. Or it could be it could be semi-permanent. I mean, that ant could, in, in a way, stay with us. So I think there are three different species, not examples, but I think species of hospitality. This occurs in the household, in the, in the ecclesial sphere, or in the ecclesiastical is probably a better term to use, and then in the civil sphere. So I want to talk about each one of those and how they're, they differ from one another. So, I mean, the household one is a little more straightforward just because most of us have experience being guests or being hosts in some capacity in the household situation. Even if you're young, your parents had people over and you were kind of took part in that hosting. But what what are some of the principles here? I think that even though this is the most obvious and easiest to grasp, I think we needed to first understand the principles because the principles of hospitality in the home also apply to hospitality in the civil sphere. So once we understand these principles of the home, with regard to the home, will under, help under, uh, help us understand that other one. So in the home, you, you ought to be hospitable. 
but are you obligated to be hospitable to the point where you lose your household or you know it harms your household your children are harmed your family's harmed you are harmed your property is harmed to what extent are you required to suffer harm at all now by harm i don't mean you lose money like hospitality in itself requires you to share resources with someone you're not harmed by sharing resources i mean you can harm if you share all your resources that harm you but the 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 act itself of is not itself an act of harm i mean harm by like sexual assaults physical violence terror fear property damage theft i mean you could just go on and on and on are we required to do that in the household i'd say that most people would say no and even the people who say yes, well, I'd like to see how you practice this. You know, I, I don't mean this that as a tukwokwe, I know a fallacy. I mean, it is a tukwokwe uh, to not do what you live up to. But I mean, I, I think that if if you say otherwise, why don't you act upon that? Well, you don't act upon that because you know you have other commitments and other duties that preclude you from acting on that. You're, you instinctively know that I'm not going to allow people to... Uh, I'm not going to violate my duty to protect my family and my kids and the things I need in my household to survive. Those people at us to survive as a household. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put those in serious jeopardy by acts of so-called hospitality. You already know that. So if those, those are the principles we have, we have a sort of sphere or like hierarchy of duties, even though people want to reject that, of course, but they don't in practice because they know it's absurd. If, they, if, you pre, if you rejected the idea that you are obligated to your kids first over other kids, you don't live like it. And you don't live like it because instinctively you know that you would be seriously violating a, a duty to your own children. So hospitality in the household does not extend to things that would harm your household. Now, there, there, in every act of hospitality, there's going to be some risk. You might know a person. You might not know a person. You might seem to know a person you're going to have some risk. So I'm not saying that avoid risk. I'm not talking about that. There's, there's always going to be risk in every act of, of virtue. There's some kind of risk. Just like the act of being courage, being courageous can get you killed. Just because you were killed in an act of courage does not mean that you were reckless. So you could be very generous, properly generous in the matter of hospitality and still suffer some harm as a result. So you could invite a family, family people over and their kid could be unruly and bad and damaged stuff you know, in your house. You kind of took a risk on that and maybe you just, you'll, you tolerate it as, you know, so there's a certain point where you'll, you'll accept the consequences. But anyway, the point being in the household, yeah, you are going to uh, avoid, um, rightly avoid um, harm in an act of hospitality. Now, if you apply that elsewhere, I will apply that to the civil sphere as well. But I just want to keep that in mind so that we can later apply that to probably the more controversial side, which would be in the civil sphere. But first, I want to talk next. I want to talk about the uh, the uh, ecclesial sphere or that's I want to say ecclesiastical probably makes more sense. When we think when we think oh the church is hospitable, we shouldn't think that because there's family members who have each other over for dinner, or there's a guest that goes to your church and you have them over for lunch. Those that those are acts of hospitality, but I want to say those are more household aspects of hospitality. You bring that guest you met met from church over to your your house for lunch. That's not an extension of ecclesiastical. It's just that's where you met them in the church and. The sphere of activity, the place in which what you're sharing is not church funds or 
you know, or it, it's not, there's no spiritual. Well, anyway, that, that there's, yeah, it's not church funds. It's your own funds from your house. That, that is just accidentally ecclesiastical, but it's more fundamentally from your household. But I do think there are two elements of hospitality in the ecclesiastical side. One is I think is the pastor is the guest for the congregation. Now this kind of gets into in theology uh, with uh, theolo- theology of, of elder of eldership, but at least in Presbyterian and I suspect also Anglican, the pastor is as a pastor, not not the not the man himself, but the the pastor as a pastor, the man as a pastor, he is a sort of herald or messenger of the kingdom of Christ. That's why in the Presbyterian tradition, he shows up and says greetings in the name of the Lord. There's a greeting. Uh, and and I think in Presbyterianism, unless if you're ordained, you can't technically even greet. You can't, no. You have to be ordained first in order to do the greeting. Now, I was in a church for a while, then they're on a, 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 a pastoral, they're searching for a pastor. And for a long, long time, we did not have, or I, I mean, I should say, Whenever there wasn't a teaching elder visiting, there was no greeting and there was no benediction. There was a call to worship, but there wasn't the greeting. And why? Well, because the ruling elder is is technically not a herald messenger of the kingdom of Christ in an, or, or an ordained sense. So they can't actually do the greeting. So the point being that the pastor as a pastor is a sort of guest from the kingdom of Christ to you, the people, and you are the host. So this would justify paying them and other things. That that gets into. I know there might be some disagreement on that, but I think there is an act of hospitality there where you're you're not so much. It's not that the man himself. We're not Roman Catholics. We're like the man himself is set apart, but the man as pastor. So there is a sense in which he as pastor is guest and your host, and the payment to him as a salary is is a way of facilitating that that go that that um, host guest relationship. The second one is is in worship, where uh, the se- usually in the order of worship, the second is the call to worship. So you have the greeting, the call. And what is the call to worship? Well, it's a calling of the people of God to worship, also to kind of rise up in their hearts to, to the um, to the spiritual spiritual places to worship, where God is the host. A lot of modern evangelicalism tends to think that the the people is hosting God. It's like bring down God and bring the Holy Spirit down on them. But in the more traditional classical protestant view the congregation is the guest in which god is hosting god's hosting his own worship so that's another aspect so i think those two properly speaking are ecclesiastical acts of hospitality that are properly in that sphere i'm i don't i'm kind of debating how far to take to talk about that in the book i think it's important but i th- i think that some like i think the theologians would probably be better suited to talk about those I, i'm certainly going to mention it but I don't know if I'm going to devote like a chapter to those things. I don't know. I think it'd be fascinating to have that discussed with regard to the pastor and others. I just just don't know if I'm well equipped to to talk about that. But I don't know. We'll see. The, the last one and probably the most controversial is going to be the, the civil sphere. So in the civil sphere, of course, the difference is it doesn't involve households. It involves a nation. And that's kind of the main specific difference for the civil sphere we have to again keep we have to keep in mind what are those principles at the household level that uh, that are just simply part of hospitality in general that therefore would also apply to civil and that is that you the a nation as a, a nation itself is not obligated to allow in those who will do the nation harm that's just like the household 
That's the limiting principle. Now, the positive principle is that a nation ought to be hospitable, right? So a nation ought to practice hospitality towards the sojourner and the stranger in in the land. And this could this could involve the uh, the formal reception of foreigners in some relationship or the one who's passing through. I mean, we we should of course have border laws to deal with mass immigration uh, and, and uh, border security, but there should still be some aspects of hospitality uh, that the nation practices. What form that takes, the form of hospitality is going to differ depending on the ter- the determination of the nation itself. So some, and I, I think what would matter most is what will like, I mean, not most, but for example, like language barriers, it's likely mo- most nations, I, I would say all nations have an interest in maintaining a common language among people. So if you're going to take in a lot of some people, you would expect them to speak the same language because without language, you can't communicate properly what someone's duties and rights and expectations are. You can't transact above just basic level stuff that you do in civil society. Uh, and so that that might be one, that, that should be one kind of qualification for receiving people. in. But there's all sorts of questions surrounding, you know, who to bring in, when to bring in. But I think the the we can affirm two things. One, all nations ought to practice hospitality. But two, their practice of hospitality should not extend to what harms them as a nation and as a people. You're not obligated to receive people such that you are harmed. Now, just as in the household where are these, there's these hosts and guests, there's this distinction here. I didn't emphasize enough before that, that both the host and the guests, and this is true just in general for all, all acts of hospitality, both the host and the guests have obligations. Uh, different obligations. The host has obligations as host and the guests have get, uh, obligations as guests. The host has obligation, of course, to share resources with the guest. That's kind of the principal motivation. But also the, the, the obligation of the host is to, is to still to affirm that, no, this is my space. Like this is our home. I mean, you don't have to do this openly. I mean, it, it's just, it, you have to assume that in spirit and in your mind that that this is still our home. You're here. I'm still the controlling agent. In fact, I can't be host without being the one who controls this space. And uh, where's the, yeah, so that's essential for the host. But now what about the guest? Well, the guest has the obligation to be, have gratitude, to be respectful, to not meddle in the affairs. So if like a guest shows up and starts kind of meddling in how you parent or telling your your child some stuff that you don't agree with or whatever they're they're kind of undermining your authority in some regard that would be that would violate the rules the proper duties of a guest so you have you have to have to have gratitude you can't meddle in the affairs uh, you have to be respectful and depending on how long you are if you I mean if they're if you are there a long time you're expected to actually participate more into the symbiotic and symbiosis of the life of the of that entity, just like in a household, if you're going to stay there long term, you can't just sit around and watch television all day. You're expected to be a part of the household. So if you're, this is also true for civil society. That if you're going to be a part of this civil society as a guest, well, then you ought to get a job. <laughs> you ought to, or you ought to contribute in some way. At the same time, you can't consider yourself as a sort of host, meaning that you are. This is not your homeland. This is not your place. This is not a place you can disrespect. 
the sacred sites and the history that's embedded in the thoughts and memories and places of this place are not yours. And it's not your place to undermine them, replace them, destroy them, disrespect them, do any of that sort of thing as a guest. So I think we have to be willing as hosts to say that uh, guests, we, we have to demand that guests fulfill their duties. And if they don't fulfill their, their duties, then they can be deported. Now, one of the issues involved here, and in the West, we like to treat everyone as individuals. And so because we can't find a policy that would exclude a lot of the bad actors very easily without uh, that that's individualist, we tend to just kind of let everyone in and not have a very good vetting process. You know, in other words, the West doesn't like saying, you know what, for some reason, all these grooming gangs, England, are from Pakistan. Maybe we shouldn't allow any more Pakistanis in our country. We, we can't think like that because then we're going from, well, these, these hundreds of Pakistani men or thousands who are conducting these groomings. Well, that's just, you know, thousands among a million or something like that. So we don't want to talk. We don't want to trash everyone else just because these thousands are doing this. The problem is that that's what policy does. Like if you have an immigration policy, you obviously you're going to in sweep in, into dealing with one issue you're going to end up uh, sweeping the people who would actually be fine citizens or fine guests. That's just how policy works. We can't actually not like every policy is going to have its downsides in this, in this sense, if you come from a country where for whatever reason, the people in that country are causing a huge amount of problems, they're not good guests of the country, even if it's a minority of them, then the way to deal with that is say, well, no, we're not going to take anyone from from that country or it's going to be highly selective. That's one of the controversial things. But I think that's just most people in the world. Again, most people in the world, apart like non-Westerners would recognize it's that's obvious. Like, why is it that all these problems like why is it in like uh, Sweden? They have have had a huge jump in sexual assaults or in Germany or in Netherlands or in England or in Ireland. Who's doing this? It's the immigrants you're, you're allowing in from from the, the Middle East. So what are you going to do? Oh, well, we can't exclude everyone. But then then they just allow more people in and they have to cover it up and conceal it. The point being is I, I would argue that you can say there's a collective tendency. There's a tendency among a certain group. We have to exclude the group itself. I know that's controversial, whatever, but I'm just going to leave that there. I think that that seems obvious given as a matter of civil policy that um, you have to treat, you don't just treat everyone as individuals, but you have to treat groups as groups and group tendencies can be ascribed to the whole in a matter of, uh, as a matter of policy. So anyway, the important point here, and as I'm working through this for the book, uh, is that there are these principles that there are hosts and their guests. One of the things we need to do as Westerners is reassert the notion of the guest, uh, of the host. We as the host, this is our place. This is our land. This is our country. But we have this almost like upside down view that we're the host and the guest at the same time, that we are actually enriched by immigrants that actually despise us and don't want anything to do with us. And, and as a group have a tendency to commit certain crimes against us. But as a host, we need to reassert and say, no, you're not allowed here. If someone's in your home, essentially humiliating you in your home, do you just roll over and say, oh, it's my fault. I deserve it. No, it's just, it's teaching me to be humble or whatever it is. No, you, you kick the guy out. That's what's required of you as a host. If a guest is violating the rules, you, you kick him out. So the same thing is true in just in general principle with civil society. 
there's a lot to talk about in terms of just the biblical ideas and notions of hospitality. It's throughout the Bible. I mean, there's it's it really is one of those central themes in the Bible. There's a lot to talk about there. The ancient world. I mean, we can talk about uh, Odysseus when, when he meets, meets the Phoenicians and they bring him in, not even knowing who he is. And then they said, tell us your story. And then he says, oh, then he kind of reveals who he is and tells the story of and then they contrast this with the Cyclops, where they they practice literally the opposite of hospitality. Um, so there's just a lot of, yeah, a lot, I mean, I mentioned Priam and Achilles before. The theme of hospitality is so, so rich, but our modern world is so bonkers. It's so sort of, you know, quote, open to its detriment that we don't actually practice hospitality. We practice the vice. We're, we're very prodigal. We, we inherited from our forefathers a really great tradition, and we, yet we just toss it away because we lack the confidence to reassert our place. All right, I'll leave it at that. Uh, thank you for listening. I'll be back next time, most likely with a discussion of Case for Christian National. So, all right, thank you. Shine beating on the good times, moonlight racing from the grave.